Fire in the Streets, Chapter 1. Bad things happen in the heat, they say. It's headed to be a scorcher. Dawn just barely cracking, sweat sheen already on the skin. Today could turn into a lot of things, but when it's hot like this, ain't none of them good. There's a knot in my stomach the size of my fist. No, bigger. Today's the sort of day when it's best to lay low, and that's not what we're doing. Hamlin steers the old pickup through the Chicago streets real slow, headed toward the demonstration downtown. Squeezed up next to him in the cab, me and Emily and Patrice sit silent. We squint through the windshield into the sun rising over the lake. It's strange, the three of us being together like this but not saying nothing. Patrice knows how to work her mouth and I can give her a run for her money. Emily always gets her word in too, no question. From the time we meet up every morning till we get to school or the panther office, wherever, jawing. And here we sit, all wide-eyed dumb, like strangers. Then again, we're usually alone. Right now, Hamlin sitting so close, his elbow bangs into me with every turn of the wheel. Sorry, Maxie. It's okay. But I hold my arms crossed over my chest to keep him from hitting anything private. In the back, perched among the boxes, is Rahim and the kid we all call Gumbo, real name George. He came up from the south, way south some time ago, and his voice holds that certain twang. Nice enough guy, decent looking. People mostly say the same about Rahim, but seeing as he's my brother, I can't really judge. He's back there and probably looking over my shoulder, as usual. Maybe even wishing he hadn't let me come along. Raheem's always saying how he's responsible for me, which means he won't let me do anything that counts. And he says, Maxie, when you're older, as the answer to just about everything. Raheem's a Black Panther already, and I'm going to be one too, just as soon as they let me. 14's not old enough, apparently. Hamlin bends over the steering wheel as the truck curves through the loop. He's vigilant, studying our surroundings like he's taking the temperature of things as we get closer to the park. Block after block, the city comes awake. Store windows snap open. People ease along the sidewalks, sip coffee, buy newspapers. Today's headline should have been enough to scare us into staying home, with all their talk of police riots at the demonstration last night. Now everything seems calm and quiet, like a regular Tuesday morning, except for the police vehicles lining the street, many more than I've ever seen at once. Emily yawns, breaking the the stillness, cuts a sideways glance toward me. Beyond her, Patrice is chewing on her nails, the only one of us not even trying to hide her nervousness. I breathe out long and slow, trying to settle the knot in my belly. I got us into this, and we don't even know yet what this really is. I'm not usually scared to go to a demonstration, but Raheem says this one won't be like any demonstration we've ever been to. He tried to warn me off coming, but I have to be there. The Democratic National Convention is the biggest thing to happen in Chicago since I don't know what. And if there's going to be a demonstration and the Panthers are going to be there, then I'm going to be there too. I told him, plain as day. The girls came along because we go everywhere together. Around the neighborhood, people run our names together like one word. Hey, Maxie, Patrice, Emily. Inseparable. Close like sisters for as long as I can remember. Through good times, sad times, crazy times, 
right now qualifies as a downright rough time. The world is shifting, exploding really, and none of us knows how to deal with it. At least once a week, Emily still breaks down crying over Dr. King being killed. Even though it happened nearly five months ago, she carries this book of his writings in her backpack like a Bible, all the pages folded down. We tried to tell her, if you fold down all the pages, what's the point? But then she only cries harder. Patrice is matter of fact about it, thinks everything's going to work out in the end, which is so far the opposite of me that sometimes we end up spitting, fighting mad at each other. When I told the girls I wanted to join the Black Panthers, Patrice called me a hothead. Emily was excited but scared. They don't know what joining entirely means and neither do I, but I know the Panthers are going to change everything and we have to be a part of it. When we go down to the community center on Wednesdays to hear Leroy Jackson speak, he makes me feel like things are finally going to get better. The Panthers are going to make it so that we never have to worry about being hungry or losing our apartment or getting arrested for no good reason. When Leroy throws his fist up in the air and shouts, all power to the people, there's this energy that rises up around me that's like nothing I've ever felt before. I tighten my fists in my lap. Maybe if I clench hard enough, I'll start to feel powerful inside instead of scared. Emily sighs, leans her head against mine. She spreads her hand across my knotted knuckles. Her gentle fingers clutch mine tight and trembling. I know she's scared, probably more than me. I wouldn't have made them come with me, but they've always got my back. That's how it is with us. Hamlin turns a corner and suddenly the road is road ahead is clogged with cars. The vague echo of many voices chanting begins to reach us. I can sense the rhythm of the chant, but can't quite make out the words. It doesn't sound familiar. Nothing about today feels familiar. This is an anti-war protest, Raheem told me, not a civil rights demonstration like we're used to. Most of the people there will be white. I try to pretend we're heading toward any old protest, but it's no longer so easy to pretend because I can see them weaving among the cars. White face after white face, all tensed up and in a hurry. Traffic is practically stalled letting them pass. Hamlin hums quietly for a while, which covers us in some kind of spell. Safe enough. I don't mind the closeness in the cab. All pressed together like this, nothing can get to us. For a while. Then Hamlin stops humming, taps the wheel twice with his thumb, and the world beyond our little pocket merges closer. The protesters seem to be coming from everywhere, out of buildings and alleys and some of the cars, carrying things and climbing over whatever's in the way. A girl with white blonde hair and dirt smudged skin edges around our front bumper, holding hands with a guy who has a thick bandage of white gauze taped to the side of his face. He stumbles and she steadies him. Then they move on, away. I glance across the cab at my friends knowing it isn't the time of day or Hamlin either that's got our tongues tied. There's something in the air heavier than heat and thicker than humidity, a feeling like we're rolling into trouble. Chapter two, the truck inches along. Every squeak of the worn brakes sounds like seagulls. Hamlin's trying to get us to the close to the park, 
but the traffic is something else. Roads closed and cars sent around the long way to make room for the protesters flocking toward the park. We watch them squeezing among the cars to get to where they're going, dragging their signs and flyers and friends and tripping along their way. They form a fast rushing stream that seems never ending, a thousand faces like so many white capped waves. I start to worry about what'll happen when we get out of the car because it's just the six of us right now. Will we be swept into the flow and drown? Hamlin thumps the steering wheel, mutters something that sounds like, is this even worth it? But it's already been decided. I was in the Panther office last week when Leroy Jackson and some other guys were arguing about whether or not the Panther should have a presence at the Democratic National Convention. There's no place for us there. We gotta take a stand against the war. It's a white protest. They don't care about us at all. We need all the allies we can get. Leroy, who's in charge, decided that it would be worth sending people to the protest, partly to sell copies of the Black Panther, our community newspaper, but mainly just to be a presence in the crowd. I really hope the others get here soon. We'll be okay, I say out loud. Maybe I'm answering Hamlin. Maybe I'm reassuring the girls. Emily's fingers still grip my locked fist. Hamlin glances at us. Yeah, just stick together, he says, no matter what happens. We will. He doesn't need to tell us. It's how we survive. I'm still amazed that the girls and I are being allowed to come along. We're assigned to help Hamlin and the guys set up, and then we're supposed to leave, but I'm planning to stay as long as possible, at least long enough to hear Bobby Seal speak. What time does Bobby come on stage? I ask. Now that the silence is broken, it's going to be hard for me to keep my mouth shut. Talking stops me from thinking, and when my thoughts are all about hope, how I hope I don't die today, that's probably a good thing. Sometime this afternoon, Hamlin answers, he's flying in from Oakland now. Emma Lee stirs a little. She wants to meet Bobby too, I know. She likes reading his writings almost as much as she likes reading Huey's. Huey Newton and Bobby Seal are the Black Panther Party founders. Huey is the Panther's Minister of Defense, and Bobby's the General Chairman of the party, which was started in Oakland, California, but stretches across the whole country now. Is Bobby coming to the office later too? I can't wait to see him in person, I blurt. I want to hear him speak up close. It's so exciting. Yeah, Hamlin says. He's all cool about it because he's met Bobby in person lots of times. Hamlin had been out in Oakland for the past few months learning about how the Panthers operate out there and came back to help get the Chicago chapter up and running smoothly. So far, so good. How much farther, I ask. The truck has moved less than half a block in the whole time we've been talking. I don't know, Hamlin says. Might be as close as we're going to get. Raheem knocks on the back window. We can hoof it from here, he calls. This is taking forever. Hamlin tosses him a thumbs up and begins a several minutes long ease over to the right hand of the street. We're closer to the center of things now. Through the gaps between the buildings, the crowd teams. From our slight distance, their heads bob in a small, swirling mass. The chanting and roaring rolls toward us in waves. Up close will be, I still don't know what it'll be like. Just that I have some wrong feeling about it. 
Okay, girls, Hamlin says as the tires skim the curb. Patrice levers the door open and we pile out onto the sidewalk. We stand at the edge while Raheem and Gumbo unload the boxes, pausing every couple of minutes to let Hamlin roll the truck forward with traffic. Raheem stands in the back, handing boxes down, and Gumbo's on the street with us, stacking them on the hand truck they borrowed from someone's job. When the hand truck is full, what's left in the pickup's bed are some loose bags and the Black Panther Party banner we'll be carrying. Raheem starts handing things to us. Emily slings all the cloth bags over her shoulders. She looks like a horse with saddlebags out of some cowboy picture. Patrice and I kind of laugh. What? She says. Nothing. Patrice grins, all sweet and innocent. Emily narrows her eyes, not a bit fooled. We've been friends too long for any kind of wool to be pulled. Nay, nay, I paw the ground with my toe. Patrice busts up. Emily glares. Then Raheem hands down the tall poles we're going to use to hang up the banner. Patrice takes them in her hand, straightens up, and turns real serious all of a sudden. It's like, zap, called up for duty. Emily gets in on the joke. Spear carrier, she whispers. Patrice's mouth twitches, but she holds the smile off, makes a fierce warrior face instead. Aye, she pounds the poles on the ground. Laughing lets the nervous ache in my stomach ease up for a second. Maybe we all feel the same because for a minute we get to grinning. Raheem jumps down from the truck bed and dumps the banner into my arms. It's heavier than I expected. I clutch it tight, nearly bending forward under the weight of it and wait for the girls to make a joke on me. But they're staring at something behind me and they aren't smiling anymore. A clump of policemen, six, no, eight, marches along the sidewalk right toward us. They're half a block away, but their presence pushes out around them like a cloud. Clad in their pale blue shirts with helmets to match, batons dangling from their belts like little warning flags.